Hi there, I'm Robert Netkin, host of the Information Security Podcast. For 16 years, the summit has gathered thought leaders of the information security world for a week of learning, networking, and conversation about the industry. Today, we're recording live at the 2018 Information Security Summit. We'll be sitting down with Bradford Cross, who discussed social media and its cyber risk. Good morning, Bradford. Good morning. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what is Tower Street? Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, so my background is as a machine learning and finance guy going back about 15 years, multi-major. I was a hedge fund researcher, then manager, was at Google for a while, building big distributed systems, and then started doing machine learning startups back in 2009. I did the first AI startup that was ever let into Y Combinator back then that was called Flightcaster for predicting the real-time state of the global air traffic uh, network using carrier FAA and weather data. Uh, that was a lot of fun. We ended up exiting that after first couple of years. And then I started a company called Prismatic. Um, Prismatic was like a personalized, interest-based news feed, effectively. And this was acquired by LinkedIn December 2015 and currently runs their newsfeed and uh, NLP tech. So when we look at the stories that scroll by us on LinkedIn, Prismatic is the, is the magic that puts that all together. Yeah. You know, back in those times, all of the big dogs were kind of trying to get this personalized feed thing uh, on lock, right? So you had Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google etc. And so we ended up going with LinkedIn because they, they weren't as far along yet with the tech. So the team was able to really go with some of the tech and really kind of form the core of some of the... They didn't have to unlearn stuff. You didn't have to rip stuff out to make it work. It was just like rather than being a cog in a machine, right? At that point in 2015, Facebook, for example, already had a pretty significant, you know, newsfeed effort underway. They had looked at acquiring us also towards the end of 2012, which would have been very different at the time. But anyways, so that's prismatic. I also created, along with three other founding partners, Data Collective, which is a venture capital fund that invests in AI and deep tech-oriented startups. We started that back in 2011. That's grown to be very large mostly based on the success of my partners because it, it has mostly grown while I was uh, running Prismatic. But after Prismatic, I've started working again with my partners at, at DCVC and, and building new companies. And Tower Street is one of the first few companies out of the studio or company builder that we created for doing uh, like AI-focused fintech stuff. Now, you talked about Prismatic and, and the feed in in LinkedIn. And one of the thoughts that occurs to me is, you know, there's a lot of buzz nowadays about the, the so-called fake news and uh, the gaming of stories on social media. What's your perspective on all of that? Well, I mean, we dealt with it a lot, actually. So we saw this stuff way back in 2011, 2012, like very sophisticated botnets. Mm -hmm. So the bots are following themselves and real people to get the real people to follow them back, right? So you'll do the typical thing is you'll do like the hot chick like avatar, right? And just like follow a bunch of guys. And then some of the guys are just going to be like, oh, hot chick followed me, of course, because I'm amazing. I'll, <laughs> I'll follow them back, right? And then they follow them back. and Victims like, of their own ego. Right, yeah. So it's like a very classical trick. 
And so, you know, you do a whole bunch of these kind of tricks and you accumulate all these followers. And then now you have this set of folks following each other with real people following them and they look like a real network. And then you uh, auto-generate fake content that you'll share out with those things. And it's basically the whole thing is a very complex kind of like ad arbitrage engine in the end. And what's happening is that you're tricking people to come to some rubbish synthesized content that actually has ads associated with it. And the ads are hitting off of some topics that are active in that synthesized, you know, text. But the text itself, if you actually read it, is is junk, right? It's like rubbish. We were seeing that kind of stuff all the way back in 2011, 2012. It's a very complicated and, and rich ecosystem. It, it is true that people like Facebook and others have invested a lot in attacking this stuff already, and I think that they've done a, a really crappy job in communicating things as all this stuff has come to light for people. But I think it's important for all of us to understand this stuff's been going on for a very long time, since the early, early days of social media. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and others have been active in trying to do stuff about it. These are hard problems, um, and you can't expect them to solve them right away. But I do think different people have let different problems, like they, they haven't run the hygiene of their network or the governance of their network as actively as they could have. Like, for example, Twitter also allowed fake uh, accounts for way too long to just be way out of hand, right? Like there's so many people had huge number of nonsense followers for, for years. And when you say fake this. accounts, you're not talking about someone who may diversify their online presence. You're talking about accounts that, that have no representation to a person at all. They, they're Yeah, just like nonsense bot accounts and other stuff like this. Like they didn't do a very good job for a while. Now they're getting better at it, but for, for many years they didn't really uh, take that as seriously as they should have. Whereas I think Facebook actually did a pretty good job and invested pretty heavily in that stuff, but then got you know more sophisticated behaviors evolved. They ended up getting caught out, but I think the way that they communicated it you know, ended up being what was the worst part of it rather than them having just completely and utterly neglected this for years, which I don't think is what you know represents the truth. I think that they do think about this kind of stuff and invest in it. How would you describe the cyber risk of this adversarial social information? What do you mean by adversarial in what sense? Like what? Well, I am speaking obviously in generalities and, and things that are uh, often talked about in the news. Yeah, but, the, yeah. you know, the buzz about fake news, the buzz about trying to steer elections, the buzz about trying to steer opinion within a country. And I'm thinking to myself, gee, propaganda, that's the word that was used historically uh, when you had nation states going at each other decades ago. And, and their medium of that era was radio broadcast. They had shortwave radio. Today, the 21st century medium is social media over the Internet. And the weaponization of social media is, is a pretty scary thought. Do you, do you think of that as a cyber risk? Well, definitely. I mean, if you think of modern, modern warcraft, right, where violence is mostly obsolete, because I think violence between major world superpowers is mostly obsolete, and it's mostly been obsolete, you know, for quite a long time. So you have, like, proxy wars going on through other countries and a lot, whole host of other sketchy things. But so far, like, for quite a while, uh, violence, you know, direct physical violence between major global superpowers is obsolete. And, and so the, the weapons of Warcraft are 
information, which is the kind of stuff you're talking about, fake news, election hacking, this kind of stuff, security, and then uh, finance, right? And I think that these become more important and more valuable than than the monopoly of, of physical violence. And you see like major, major, major corporations also in some cases having similar power to like major, you know, nation states. And I, and I think that this will all continue to be the case and the stuff that you're talking about is, is real and, it, and it's very serious. And, you know, the major like, uh, you know, Russia, China, U.S. kind of superpowers are, are constantly at war in some sense and have been for a long time when you look at these, other, these vectors that you're describing, right? So in terms of organizations thinking about cyber risk, just to kind of pull back a little bit to something that's a little more tangible for the information security professional, how do you see organizations addressing challenges? And, and frankly, what challenges do you think they should prioritize? We take a kind of a, a simplistic or a traditional kind of, I guess, ERM, enterprise risk management type lens on this. You know, look at the risks to the business um, the assets of the business, look at the business processes, and look at how the uh, security risk influences those things and how you can lose money. And then, you know, make decisions strategically according to uh, mitigating that, that financial risk. And I, I think in the future, the last thing I'll say on this topic, in the future, I think people will get even more sophisticated. will start to look at distributions of risk and so on and like, What's my appetite for like really extreme events, you know, and how much am I willing to invest incrementally above and beyond um, to reduce the likelihood of really extreme events? So how does an organization quantify cyber risk? Is that going to change in the future? So today what people will do is they'll usually have like a homegrown way of using this FAIR methodology. Um, where they have a whole a bunch of people have to manually gather a bunch of data, compute a bunch of stuff in spreadsheets and so on, and feed it in and come up with some scores, right? Um, that's the best way of trying to do something like this today that we see people doing actually out in the wild. What we would hope to do, and I think some other people are, are starting to try to do as well, is to be able to do that more automatically based on the data that you would really capture from running proper, you know, uh, audits of via simulations or via capturing data from vulnerability scans that you might have done in the past and looking at your track record of patching in the past, even on an ongoing basis by doing things like attaching to your Splunk logs and sitting on top of those. So I think depending on the level of investment and time and energy you want to make on a current and on an ongoing basis, this will become you know, deeper and more automatic over time. If I were to pretend I was one of those uh, public radio uh, folks who, you know, has the attention deficit audience that can only stay tuned for about 30 seconds, in 30 seconds, what topics would you tell people to become familiar with thinking about information security? I would say machine learning, enterprise risk management, and data science, because I consider that to be a different thing than machine learning. Brantford? <laughs> It, it has been a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, if our listeners are interested in following you and, and finding out more about you uh, and the various enterprises that you're working with, what's the best way to communicate with you and, and follow you? You can find me at, uh, at just Bradford Cross on Twitter. And you can find me everywhere from there. Yeah, And just search for Bradford Cross also on Google and you can find all my stuff as well. 
We hope you enjoyed today's interview with Bradford Cross, recorded live at the event, October 25th, 2018. Thanks for joining us on the Information Security Podcast. You can find our other podcasts featuring keynotes and behind-the-scenes interviews with some of the Summit speakers by subscribing to the Information Security Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Learn more about the Summit at informationsecuritysummit.org. Before you go, we'd like to give a special thanks to our ISS partners, ASMGI, Better With Mustard, and Hurricane Labs. We'd also like to thank Front Porch Media for producing this podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay secure.